it wouldn't be opening day without a special tradition unlike any other in Major League Baseball. Please welcome the majestic hometown Budweiser Clydesdales. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 127 of the Viva Alberto's podcast. I'm Tyler Kinsey. I'm a writer here at VEB, and we're back starting to do these podcasts hopefully regularly again, and this one is going to be focusing, one, on the big news of the Paul Goldschmidt extension, and then looking ahead to what's happening this week, which is opening day. Regular season baseball is finally back, but first we'll welcome on two guests. First is my co-host, that's Heather Simon. She's a writer and editor here. How are you doing, Heather? I'm good. How are you? Good, and we're also joined by a fellow writer, and also congrats, Ben Clemens, on the new job of Fangraph's contributing writer, so he's moving up in the world. (laughs) Thanks. All right, so it was looking like a fairly conventional little rough spring training for the Cardinals, but then there was an extension with Paul Goldschmidt, and I don't know about you guys, I thought Heather, your Hunt and Peck headline was really fitting. It was something along the lines of, Paul Goldschmidt might be a boring superstar, but he's our boring superstar, and (laughs) this is the largest contract in franchise history, and this perennial all-star, one of the best first basemen in baseball, and is it just me, or did it feel like this big extension didn't really get the attention among fans that it warranted? Yeah, that, that seems kind of right to me. I think there might be a little bit of extension fatigue across all of baseball, since, uh, basically every player signed one within a two-day window, it seems like. I think it even kept going afterwards. Right. I think part of it is, too, like, Mike Trout just signed, like, the biggest contract in, ever. And so <laughs> and so people are like, oh, I don't know, the, the largest contract extension in Cardinals history just doesn't seem, like, quite as impressive comparatively. Yeah, or people are like, oh, like, Alex Bregman got $100 million. I barely know who that is. Right. Cardinals fans, maybe. I mean, he's good. Yeah, like, going back to the trade itself, I almost felt like, for being such a high-magnitude move, and I don't know if some of that's just because Goldschmidt being a guy who plays in Arizona and doesn't put up, you know, first-base star numbers in kind of the conventional way we're used to, i.e. the primarily high home-run RBI levels, but... I don't know if that's just Goldschmidt being kind of underrated by the average baseball fan or if there's almost kind of this jaded expectations from Cardinals fans, especially because at that point Harper and Machado were still on the market and people had their sights set higher. But it just felt like Goldschmidt's Cardinals fans aren't treating it with the magnitude that they probably should be. I definitely agree with that. Because in my opinion, Paul Goldschmidt is probably, if not the the best first baseman in the league. He's the best in the National League. I, I'm trying to think of another first baseman that I would put ahead of him or that I would want uh, before Paul Goldschmidt. And I can't think of any. <laughs> Not off the top of my head right now. I'd take first and, baseman uh, Mike Trout. Just playing first, out of position. First baseman Mike Trout, maybe, with uh, first baseman skills. But yeah, yeah, he's He's, that's a, it's a great pickup. Like, this is, he's, the Cardinals, once again, for like the second offseason in a row, have just got, like, just acquired their new best player. So, <laughs> that's not nothing for sure. Is, yeah. there, is there any concern, though, with 
Goldschmidt. The extension doesn't actually kick in until 2020, so I'm pretty sure it's he'll finish out this year on the $14.5 million from the team option that Arizona exercised. Is there any concern signing a first baseman for a contract that's ages 32 through 36, especially considering the high volume and workload Goldschmidt's played at? I mean, I, I'm pretty strongly opinionated about this, so take this with a grain of salt, but I think you have to either like complain about the team not spending enough or complain about the efficiency. You can't do both because, you know, we heard a lot of the Cardinals aren't spending enough to win. That was, a, I think, one of the big narratives of this offseason. Like, oh, why are they going and spending talent to get Paul Goldschmidt when they could just spend money to get, you know, all these years of Bryce Harper? Well, they're spending money. Like, they, they and you might disagree on where to put the money, but the one thing that I had been upset with the Cardinals about in recent years was just that they weren't really choosing to increase their spending because they were just so good at developing players that they didn't need to. And now it seems like they're trying to spend. Like, I don't think I'm probably better than the front office at figuring out where to spend money. And I'm glad they're doing it. Like, I'm much happier that they're spending money than, than I care about what they're spending it on. Like, eh, will the contract work out? I don't know. I hope so. But the fact that they're trying to do it is really good, I think. I'm kind of the same way where I think I don't know if it's going to work out. There's always risk when you try to sign uh, an older player uh, or you sign it for, you know, into the later 30s. There's always that risk. Uh, but there's risk with any type of contract you sign. I think the process was good. I, I think that if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But I don't think you can fault really anyone if it doesn't because I'm pretty excited that they have Paul freaking Goldschmidt, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I don't see a problem with it. I think, it, I think like Ben said, like they're, they have the money to spend, and this is where they chose to spend it. Maybe this was the plan all, you know, all along. If so, I, I'm okay with it, I think. <laughs> like, even in the grand scheme of baseball economics, I don't think five years and $130 million is going to devastate a team and just their roster, even if it doesn't pan out the way the Cardinals are hoping. But even then, you look at a guy like Goldschmidt, and if this were a player who was kind of their only skill or their only few skills that they got value through was their power or their speed then I think I'd be a little more concerned just because we know that those are skills that don't necessarily age as well. But you look at Goldschmidt, and he runs the bases decently well, not even just through raw speed, but through good base running, making good decisions, taking the extra base, but also getting on base a ton through drawing walks. And those are skills that I don't think necessarily are going to deteriorate over time as a guy gets older. So I think Goldschmidt will hopefully age pretty well. And again, I'm not going to complain about them locking up who's been one of the, if not the most productive first baseman in baseball over the past several years. I can't remember who it was that made this comment on the Goldschmidt post, uh, but they said something like, when they evaluate moves, they think about if the Cubs were to have made that same move, would they be mad? And if the answer is yes, then it was probably a good move. So, <laughs> so with that in mind, the Cubs were were to have done this, I would have been freaking devastated. So I think it, it was probably a good decision. But what do I know? <laughs> yeah. One thing that is interesting is, I mean, I live, you know, on the East Coast. So 
I don't really have a lot of like not a lot of my like close work friends and stuff are Cardinals fans. I mean, none of them are. And they're all like, wow, the Cardinals had an amazing offseason. Like, Andrew Miller, Paul Goldschmidt, they're just getting all the good players. They didn't give up anybody. And, but then if you look at the Cardinals fans, like, you know, we, we suck. Like, our team's going to be really bad. I don't think they're very good. I wish they did more in the offseason. And there's just, like, a really big disconnect where some of it might just be, like, like learned helplessness where they're like, oh, the Cardinals always make offseason moves and they always turn into Dexter Fowler. But I do think that there's a big disconnect in perception about how the offseason was between, you know, in St. Louis and outside of St. Louis. I think some of that's to your point, Ben, is for a couple of reasons. One, because I think Cardinals fans are frustrated by the Ozuna trade not working out, but that's for a couple of reasons. One, I think fans were kind of unrealistic about what he could sustain. You look at this offseason, bringing in a Goldschmidt, bringing in a Miller, they didn't give up a ton this offseason. It's pretty much rolling back the exact same team minus Luke Weaver because Carson Kelly was basically a non-factor. I mean, sure, Tyson Ross is gone. You never really had him in the whole year anyway. Bud Norris is gone. I don't think anyone's going to complain about that. Really, this team, I think, is in a similar spot, but I guess the question is, is that a good thing? You, you know, some of these older players like a Matt Carpenter getting a year older, but also some of these guys who are younger kind of coming closer into their prime, but... I guess we can kind of segue into how you think the team is going to look. We were talking before we started recording about guys who we think are either going to regress forward or regress backwards. And do you think right now that this team is better than they were last year? But more specifically, I'm assuming the answer is yes. How much so? Like, how much better do you think this team is compared to where it was at the start of the offseason? I think the team's a lot better than it was at the start of the offseason. Because I mean, we covered this, but they added Paul Goldschmidt. He's really good. Like, he probably increased the team's, like, projected wins this year by, like, three or four wins or something. I mean, probably closer to three, but that's great. But I think if we're being honest with ourselves, if the team, like, if the team kept all the players from last year, like, I don't know that they'd win 88 games again. Like, I I could see them winning fewer. I, I kind of think, like, there are some guys who played over their heads and, like that, if that comes back a little bit, I didn't know where we were going to get more talent from. So, you know, getting Goldschmidt is a great way to do that. And like, if you told me uh, the Cardinals won 88 games in 2019, I'd say, yeah, like that seems pretty reasonable. And so that's the same record as last year. But like last year, I kind of think we got lucky to win 88 games. And this year, that's my expectation. Yeah, I mean, like Harrison Bader is a great player, don't get me wrong, great defender, great base runner, but I don't think any of us reasonably should expect him to produce almost four wins again or be the hitter that he was. If you look, for example, at some of the other guys, especially on the pitching side, there's some pretty big discrepancies. Even a guy like Miles Michaelis is an example of that, where kind of the surface level numbers don't necessarily back up with the more predictive peripherals. So like you just said, I think there are going to be players on this team who were there last year and were productive last year, and to some extent I think will be productive again this year, but maybe not to the same degree. So to get back to 88 wins again or to maybe push a little bit beyond that, you are going to need to add in several different places, and I think shoring up the bullpen with Miller and bringing in Goldschmidt was a great way to do that. Now, I definitely think there is some legitimacy to the claims that the team could have done more, but I think they had a perfectly fine offseason. I don't think that, you know, I'm walking away with this extremely disappointed and not feeling optimistic at all about this season. Like, 
this is what the Cardinals do. They've put themselves right back in a position to be in the thick of the postseason hunt. Oh yeah, like I, I'm really happy with this offseason. I can't, I can't imagine how it could have gone much better for the team. Like, I think the uh, the expectations of adding Goldschmidt and also adding Harper were <laughs> optimistic, uh, a little, a little optimistic. Uh, but the team still got like much better. They probably got, they probably improved more than almost any other team in baseball this offseason. Maybe the Reds improved more. I don't know if people are going to like this, but Goldschmidt is better than Harper. I think he's older. So, like, I totally get that when you're looking for, like, free agents. He's not a free agent either, but when you're looking at the free agents, Harper is a very appealing player. But over his career, uh, he's been better. (laughs) And so, um, like, I, I legitimately think even though even being older, he's a better player. I, I knock on wood. I don't want to jinx them, but I—I I don't know. I—I I wouldn't have minded if the Cardinals got Harper, but I'm not upset that they didn't because I'm not a big believer in him. I, I think he gets injured a lot, and I think don't think he's going to age that well. I'm sure he'll be worth his, his contract seems manageable, so I'm sure he'll be worth it. But. I, uh, I I don't know. I don't. I not wasn't that crazy about him. I would much rather have Goldschmidt. I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe that's a crazy gut feeling thing. But, but that's my personal theory. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I always thought the Harper or Machado talks were always kind of a pipe dream and something that wasn't going to be realistic, especially once you get a Goldschmidt and the Cardinals looking to extend Goldschmidt, which is a substantial amount of the money that you would have been allocating towards somebody like a Bryce Harper. If anything, I think my biggest criticism of the offseason, and again, like I think we're all in agreement here, this was a good offseason for the Cardinals, and they've improved a lot, especially relative to some of the other teams they're going to be competing against this season. But I think my biggest concerns are more on the pitching side. Just looking at a, a starting rotation, Wainwright, who knows at this point what you're going to be getting from him. Jack Flaherty, how much can you expect from him, especially trying to ramp up the innings load? Waka always has had some health concerns with him. Michaelis is probably going to regress to some extent from last year. And then kind of that giant horde of younger guys, Gomber, Ponce de Leon, Hudson, maybe Reyes, depending on how he's doing health-wise, how much they want to stretch him out. How concerned should we be about the rotation for the Cardinals? Because they have options, definitely, but... With pretty much every single one of them, there's, I think, fair question marks to be attached to them. I'm, like, both concerned and hopeful because, yeah, it seems pretty easy for guys to not be as good as they were last year because, like, Flaherty and Michaelis were both great. And, you know, when somebody's great one year, they're not necessarily going to be as good next year. And, like, Michaelis was awesome last year. But uh, I'm also really hopeful because I think kind of the – the guys who we think of as the end of the rotation, like the fourth through seventh starters, are all pretty exciting. I am just very concerned about the rotation because of all the reasons that you already said, Tyler. Um, I wasn't quite as concerned until Martinez has had his injury issues. I feel like I'm not a pessimistic person, but I feel like that is not going to be good 
I'm, I kind of looked into that procedure he had done, the um, plasma injection, and it just seemed kind of like a hokey um, last resort kind of thing that you would try. Um, so I don't feel great about it. I'm very worried that he's more hurt than we even know. And with the younger players, particularly Reyes, I don't know what we're going to get from him. The injuries he's come back from are pretty severe. Who knows? I would... I would love for him to come back and be everything we thought he was and more, but I don't know what to expect from him. And really at this point, any innings we get from him, I will be happy with. That's like, that's going to be considered a win for me. Yeah. I would um, love for them to have gotten a pitcher to raise the ceiling of that pitching staff. That's just me. (laughs) So I actually think the ceiling is super high. Like, uh, if it's October and you tell me that the fifth best starter on the Cardinals this year was Miles Michaelis, I could see it. I think it wouldn't be easy, but I could definitely see, like, there are so many young pitchers who have exciting upside. I mean, obviously, Flaherty has exciting upside, and obviously Reyes does. Um, Carlos Martinez can be pretty good, but I think, like, like one thing that's really kind of underappreciated, and it doesn't look very likely after this spring, is that Gomer could be great. Gomer could be great. He has a lot going for him and he's like kind of never put it together in the majors but he has a lot of things that are very close to being really good like his curveball is amazing like probably one of the best curves that there is in baseball which is kind of crazy for like a <laughs> essentially like a like depth prospect who's never been rated as anything and wasn't a real draft pick but it's it's incredible. Like he throws really hard. He's adding a slider, and it seems like it didn't work at all in spring training, and that's kind of been his downfall. But if he just became like the next, I don't know, like that guy in the Dodgers, Hyunjin Ryu, was like he was an all star last year and had like a two ERA and threw a hundred some odd innings as a lefty and was amazing and started their first game of the playoffs. And if you told me that's Gomer, I'd be like. <laughs> it's a 90th percentile outcome or something, but I could see it. Like, they just have so many young and really hard-throwing starters that I could see a really, really good upside scenario where everyone's amazing. But I think the downside's also, you know, <laughs> it's pretty evident. Like, you know, Flaherty's not as good as he was last year. Michaels isn't as good as he was last year, and all the young guys suck. And then, then we have problems. <laughs> yeah, I'm... Uh, so I just think it's really variable. I it's helpful that they have a lot of fifth starters, but still, like, you don't really want John Gant to be starting 20 games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe instead of raising the ceiling, they need to raise the floor. Is yeah. probably what I meant. Yeah, I think <laughs> that kind of makes sense. Like, like if you add Dallas Keuchel, I didn't really want them to. I think uh, I think it was a lot of money for someone who could very well be worth worse than Dakota Hudson right now. Uh, not likely, but could be. Uh, that seems like kind of a weird thing to do, but it would definitely make the bad outcomes less likely. To some extent, and I don't know how much I buy into the theory, that because baseball is a random game and anything can and anything will happen, that essentially 
if you have enough darts and you throw them all at the wall, a couple of them are going to stick. Yeah, maybe Ponce de Leon and Gomber and Hudson and Gantz and you know Walker or Wainwright, maybe they all aren't going to have the seasons you want. But you don't need every single one of them to when you've accumulated this depth. As long as you have enough there and you can cobble your way towards those quality innings, you can kind of get by with what you have, especially if you have a lineup, which is with the addition of Goldschmidt now as thorough as it is for the Cardinals. So I am concerned by, especially with the pitching staff, kind of the floor and those lower percentile outcomes. But if you look at the Cardinals and... When you have guys like Gomber and Ponce de Leon starting in AAA, when you have guys like Gantz and Reyes kind of waiting in the wings in the rotation, I'm pretty sure most teams in baseball would take that over the kind of pitching contingency plans they currently have right now. So as the season wears on and this kind of war of attrition emerges where everybody has pitchers go down, I'm not too pessimistic about the Cardinals' chances to kind of stay afloat pitching-wise just because there's so many options and even a guy like Ryan Helsley who we haven't even seen yet at the major league level all you need is in any given year a couple of those guys to kind of get by as stopgap options for you to have a serviceable rotation yeah I um a few weeks ago for the site I looked at like how good everyone's fifth through eighth starters were like the guys who you don't feel good about on every team and the only teams that were better than the Cardinals at that were the Braves and the Dodgers. The Braves are cheating because they promoted three of those five people to their actual starting rotation in the intervening time because they just have a bunch of like young minor leaguers who they've decided not to get overly game their service time. And the Dodgers are really good at baseball. But yeah, they're, they're very good. Um, we're not better than them. <laughs> but aside from that, the Cardinals just have like every team has an uncertain fifth or eighth starter. It's just, <laughs> you can't be like, oh, like why don't we have a proven major leaguer who's going to be above average as our fifth pitcher? Well, because no one does. Uh, and once you kind of normalize it to that, I think the Cardinals are doing pretty well there. Now, I still think the bottom could fall out. Like I think that the volatility of these guys is higher than your average uh, back end of the rotation because they just don't have a lot of track record. Like Ponce de Leon didn't play baseball in 2017. Um, and was really awesome in the majors in 2018, and like pretty medium in the minors, right? Yeah, most of these guys were. I am concerned with some of these guys like Ponce de Leon or Gomber, where they did look awesome, but also you look up and they have like 450 to 475 xFIPs because they didn't realize that striking out people is cool, actually, and you should try doing it, and they didn't give up any home runs. So how much of that is sustainable, and... That's what worries me. But like you said, I would take most of the outcomes with those guys. It's definitely those lower ones I'm worried about and that volatility. But that's kind of what makes this season exciting for me is that if you told me this team won 95 plus games, I honestly could see it if the lineup does what we're hoping and expecting it will. And if some of these pieces on the pitching side fall into place, it really isn't that difficult to foresee this team winning the division. But on the flip side of that coin, you can also pretty easily see this team falling out of the playoff hunts in early to mid-September. I don't know if I could see them falling out of the playoff hunt in early to mid-September just because there are so many good teams in the NL that it's just going to be a giant pile like for the wild cards. It's going to be so hard for 
it's even going to be hard for a team to separate themselves in the division because everyone's trying. Like, even the Pirates are probably good, and everyone else is trying much harder than they are. And so it's going to be really hard for any team to be that far in front, which makes it especially hard to really run away with the wild card. Like, even if the Cardinals are 500 in early September, I don't think they'll be out of the wild card race. It might be unlikely, but, like, how do you win 100 games in the NL this year? There's just so many good teams. I think everyone starts off the season thinking that... (laughs) There, there's always the basically Dexter Fowler's 2018 season. There's always that like fifth percentile outcome where it just doesn't happen that often. Like there's always that chance, but I, I agree. I feel pretty good about them being in the playoff hunt. Yeah. And for me personally, I also think that this is probably going to be the most fun Cardinals team to watch in a long time. Yeah. Like that, that matters a lot me because i watch all these baseball games you know like if you told me that the cardinals would win 100 games but they'd all be one nothing but like not well played like i don't think i'd want that season but this season we have like a lot of young pitchers who i like and tyler o'neill is going to be fun and the offense is going to be fun like we have a few guys like who are going to try to steal a bunch of bases i don't know it just seems like a very fun team to watch i like a lot of the players and there's just a lot of storylines that I'm interested in. I don't know. I think that's going to be a really fun season, and that uh, it does help. I think they're going to be very good, but it's also irrespective of that, also that a lot of the players are good in ways that I like. And not to be mean, but they have Mike. Schilt as the manager and not Mike Matheny. <laughs> I was actually just about to jump in and make that exact point. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I'm i not sure if I believe that that's worth a lot of wins, but it's worth a lot of my satisfaction. Right. Like A lot of personal agony will be gone, <laughs> I hope. Along the lines of Schultz, and I'm not sure we have a great gauge yet on kind of how quote-unquote progressive he is as a manager, Certainly, when you're using Matheny as your frame of reference, any manager is awesome. It's like, when your bar is set that low, anybody looks great to him. But, especially with the team, the way the Cardinals are set, outside of maybe Michaelis, well, probably Michaelis, Flaherty, maybe Waka and or Wainwright, depending on how they're holding up, this team really doesn't have a lot of prototypical, you can plug this starting pitcher in for 180-plus innings, so I think the pitching situation's by necessity almost going to be very fluid this season. So I'm really hoping that that does mean the team is going to be more creative in the way that they use the pitching staff and kind of, I don't want to say they've fallen behind the curve as far as what other teams are doing there, but maybe not having the traditional pitching formats that other teams have used and the Cardinals have used in the past. So am I being over my head and optimistic there? Or do you think there's a chance that's, we start to see the team, to some extent, kind of experiment with these things, given that this uh, this pitching staff is very much concentrated on depth over being top-heavy with a couple really strong guys at the top of the rotation. I, I think it's one thing to say they're not going to have an eighth pitcher who never pitches anymore. Like, they'll vary bullpen minutes, or like bullpen touches, as it were, a little bit more, and work a little bit harder on having the guys who are up pitch. That, I think, was always one of Matheny's big shortcomings, was that he'd uh, 
he just had like a shorthand in his head and he didn't vary it by game. And I think that will probably not happen. I think that there will be probably a lot more attempting to get guys on schedules and get all of the bullpen pitchers pitching. But I'm I'm not ready to say like, oh, that means they're going to be doing like tandem starts or like totally changing the way that baseball works. They're going to go with a seven man rotation, but with a with no relievers or a three man rotation with a billion relievers. I think it's more likely they just like are a little smarter about bullpen usage and try to have a five starter rotation and guys get hurt and ineffective and bounce around between the bullpen and starting. Like it's always a good bet to bet on things not changing. Yeah, I think that's generally where I fall as far as my expectations. Even just as far as things like, and this is something I wrote about at the end of 2017, I believe it was, Matheny was notorious for leaving his starting pitchers in way longer than he should have. Even just things like that, especially with some of these younger pitchers who we're probably going to see some sort of workload cap on, maybe in the fifth inning of a game, you go to your bullpen already. And one thing I'm hoping for, and this is probably me being way too idealistic, is straying away from this idea that this is your eighth inning setup, man. This is your ninth inning closer. A save situation, you just mindlessly put him in the game. Because I don't think this team should have, like, a definitive closer that you automatically go to in save situations. And I know, like, I'm just spitballing here and, like I said, being way too idealistic and hopeful. But the way this bullpen is set up, it's just a lot of pieces right now, but a lot of really interesting pieces that I'd love to see the team get creative and mix and match. And I think they definitely will a lot more than they have in past years, but I don't think to the extent that a stat junkie like me would necessarily like to see from any team. I'm not sure I really agree with uh, the kind of, like, pure math, like, there should be no bullpen positions. Like, I actually kind of like the idea of having somebody who's generally has the role of a closer. I don't think it needs to be your best pitcher. I think that that's, uh, that's not super clear. But it's just such a long season, and having a routine makes people so much better able to recover and, like, pitch better to where they're not always kind of preemptively warming up. There, hasn't, there haven't been a lot of studies done on this, but it'd be really easy for me to believe that having all these guys like, hey, be ready at any minute. We're just going to put you in based on what's happened in the last five batters could wear you down over time. Um, like, I was kind of an advocate last year for having Brevia be the closer without thinking he was the best pitcher in the bullpen just because, like, having a guy who you're kind of used to coming in in the ninth and, like, he can pitch high leverage innings uh, I, I think is good for the bullpen. I think mixing and matching in front of that makes more sense. And having someone who can fill in if it's like, you know, a three-run save and you really don't want to do it, or maybe he and Miller can switch if, like, there's righties up in the eighth, then he comes in and pitches the eighth. But I think having somewhat regimented roles is pretty good for people. Like, just in my life, I've never done really well at a workplace where they're like, no one has any defined roles and everyone figures out what they're doing when we get to the office that day. I've done that before at work, and it, like it's actually not that easy because like your head gets all messed up, like you're kind of in your own head about what you're going to be doing that day. So I don't, I don't mind the team trying to uh, make people's like mental preparation a little easier. I think the problem comes in when it's not a good matchup, and you insist on using someone just because that's your eighth inning guy or that's your closer yeah i definitely agree with that i will say though 
and this is I've never played professional baseball, believe it or not. But uh, from people that have, they say that there is something different about the ninth inning, and I'm gonna just take their word for it. So maybe there is a different mentality you have to have being that last guy to get all the outs. There might be something to that, and players say there's something to that. I'll take their word for it. I could see it being a little nerve-wracking, and you have to have kind of a, a, I don't really know what what the characteristic you have to have is, but I could see that being a thing, and that's about some people just can't pitch the ninth. And, you know, we I have no idea why the human brain works the way it does. Why did Rick Ankiel hit the backstop? Why did all this other stuff happen, you know? Like, well, I don't know. But I could see that being a thing. So there probably is some sort of mental element to that part, I would say. Yeah, to your point also, like, about, uh, like, getting away from really bad matchups. It kind of seems like 10% flexibility would be good. And, like, having two guys who have the mental stability to pitch the ninth, to the extent that that exists, if they think it exists, it exists for them, you know? Right. Like, if a guy says, if I pitch the ninth, I feel bad, well, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, then you probably shouldn't be pitching the ninth. Yeah. Yeah, But also, some of it is, like, having Andrew Miller probably makes your team much better at doing that because he Mm -hmm. is super respected and super willing to do whatever. You know, it's kind of the opposite of having Bud Norris in a way where (laughs) like Bud Norris was definitely the bullpen leader last year. I mean, you can't, can't look at it any other way. He was, you know, assessing kangaroo court fines and all that kind of stuff. And (laughs) like, I I guarantee you, he very much believes in a regimented bullpen role. Mm -hmm. And so like for better or worse, there's probably some extent of like falling in behind him and like, you kind of get used to that every day because that's what you know, the guys who are making the decisions think. And Miller was super vocal when the Indians were, I mean, they were using him flexibly, but they still had a closer, but he was super flexible about being willing to be their best pitcher. But also he just said, well, you know, I'm kind of good at pitching multiple innings and going in whenever. So that's what I do. But that doesn't mean that like Cody Allen isn't going to pitch the ninth and be great. And I think that that, like that tone really helps that's probably going to help all the bullpen pitchers that Andrew Miller's there and is like willing to be flexible setting an example. I think a couple of points to that one, people should probably tone down their expectations. As far as you saw what Andrew Miller did in the 2016 playoffs, simply put, you can't replicate that over 162 games and a schedule where you don't have off days pretty much every other day, like you do in the playoffs. Like physically you shouldn't do that to a human arm because no human arm should actually be pitching. Like, all of these pitchers break eventually, it feels like, and you just shouldn't be doing that. But also, to your point, Andrew Miller is, as far as opening day goes, the only left-handed reliever that the Cardinals are going to have in their bullpen. Is that worrisome to you as far as being able to play the matchup games? Obviously, you'd rather have a good righty than a bad lefty just because he throws left-handed, but do you think, because in 2019, there's still not going to be any limits on the minimum three batter limit, which takes in place 2020. Are you worried about, for example, in a division with a guy like Anthony Rizzo or Joey Votto, being able to kind of have that flexibility and when there is a lineup where you have two or three lefties in a row, consistently having guys where you can play those matchup games late innings? Uh, I mean, I am not really. 
I think that it's really overstated how uh, how valuable it is to have like kind of a, a extra matchup lefty. Like, it definitely improves your chances against one batter. Um, most teams are not dummies, uh, and don't have you know they're only three good left-handed left-handed hitters who are the only lefties you have to face throughout the whole lineup, just batting in a row. Like, oh, this will be easy. You just put your lefty in for that. Um, like, kind of inherent in like in the way that most teams set up their rosters is that if you pitch to the two best lefty hitting hitters, you probably pitch to the best righty hitter as well. And it's also just like a it's a real game, but it's a small game. And essentially, it seems like what it came down to is you can have Brebia or you can have Tyler Webb. And, like, I might rather have Brevia pitching to lefties than Tyler Webb pitching to lefties. Like, just, just having a lefty is not that useful if they're not good. That's right. The only thing that gives me a little bit of worry is if you look at the NL Central and the really good lefty hitters in it, you have Joey Votto, uh, Anthony Rizzo, Lorenzo is Lorenzo Cain a lefty? I think uh, Christian Yelich is lefty, or am I just making that up? No, Yelich is. Yelich is okay. So yeah, I knew there was someone in Milwaukee that was left-handed. I can't think of anyone. Is Scooter Gannett or Jeanette inexplicably mm-hmm. now? Yeah, you just reason, you just wanted to name to... drop him, didn't you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> that was just me, you know. No. Um, so there's a lot of really powerful left-handed hitters in the Cardinals division. And for the most part, I think as long as you have someone that can get left-handers out, then whether they're right-handed or left-handed, just really good pitchers, you're probably fine. But it wouldn't, I wouldn't feel bad about them having a, just a left-hander that's completely lethal to left-handed hitters. That wouldn't, that wouldn't make me mad, you know, but but I think they're probably fine because Miller could could do that if all else fails. Come in and face Votto and then pitch another inning or whatever in a key situation. I actually don't really like the uh, the like kind of lefty to get one out roll. I don't think that that Loogie? yeah. I don't think it really works. Like the way that with the amount of like relievers that you need to use these days, I. I don't think that you can really sustain a bullpen with a loogie. Like no one actually does it anymore. Um, it's kind of a it's a thing that happened that Tony Larusa made up. So everyone thinks that it still happens a lot, but the incidence has declined a ton because you just can't like starters are throwing five innings, so you need to get you know a lot of outs a night, twelve outs a night plus all the batters who reach with your bullpen, and you just, you just can't do that if one guy's getting you know zero to one outs. Just with how much, like, Andrew Miller pitches, it just would be nice, I feel like, to have one more lefty because, you know, what if he has pitched two or three straight days, now he's unavailable, so you have no lefties. Just, and like I said, I don't know if the the splits are even that prominent either way. I feel like if as long as you have right-handers that can get left-handed hitting out, should probably be fine. Yeah. But I mean, one thing that's a little weird is that uh, we're carrying Mike Myers, who is, you know, a baseball player. Definitely a baseball player. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, not part... 
particularly great. He's he has potential, obviously. Like uh, he's been a probably averageish reliever in the big leagues before, but he's not like awesome. And he is a righty, and he's out of options, so he kind of constrains uh, what the Cardinals do with their roster. Like a lot of the reason that we kind of have a crunch is because they can't send him down. Like that spot, if he were lefty, that'd be great. But uh, I do find it a little weird that uh, that that's kind of what's tying us up. Like, if you look at kind of the rest of the bullpen, like you got Miller, Hicks, Brevia, Leone, Reyes, Gant, who can like kind of be the sixth starter in a pinch. Like those six are quite solid, and I wouldn't take you know whatever kind of arbitrary lefty Jason Shreve or Cecil when he comes back over them or Webb even. But like I, I don't exactly get why Myers needs to be the the seventh guy in the bullpen. That I'm uh, that's the one thing I'm not sure about. Yeah, especially with Gantz in the bullpens, because you really don't need Myers as kind of that emergency starter, long relief guy, especially now that starters aren't going as deep into games. I don't think you necessarily need him for that. I mean, he was yeah. he was as definitely, and, like, last year was as good as we've seen him. He was averaging 96.6 miles an hour on his fastball. But, but I definitely agree to your point. If Myers had options, I definitely think we're seeing him in Memphis to start this season. Yeah. And also, like, he's no longer the guy who can who you can stretch out. He pitched 50 games last year and 51 innings. Like, he is a one-inning guy now. They've, uh, they've remade him into just a guy who throws really hard. And that's, like, a useful thing to have. But there is a place where I could be like, oh, yeah. Like, I would take a lefty over him, maybe, if the lefty were effective. And I do think that he's kind of at risk of disappearing when we get enough of the uh, the injured bullpen back. Like it, it's just it's hard to imagine him um, him not performing well and staying on the team. Yeah, and if that makes sense. Just from a roster standpoint, he's kind of in one of those weird spots where presumably Myers would probably get claimed on waivers. I doubt he makes it through all of the twenty nine other teams. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. So it's yeah, so it's like, do you burn the roster spot on him? And next year will be interesting, definitely, with all the rule changes having a 26th man on the roster throughout the year to see how that kind of changes the dynamic for things. But as far as 2019 goes, that's going to be interesting with the Cardinals and how they want to kind of try to use, especially because, again, with this year, the disabled list is still 10 days, the option period before you have to go back to the minor leagues and back up to the majors is still 10 days. Both of those get moved back up to 15 next year. But with these guys that are out of options, and I think you saw that in the way the opening day roster is shaped, the Cardinals maybe aren't going to have the flexibility that they would have liked and that we've seen from them at times in the past to kind of run that Memphis shuttle like they have been doing. Yeah, I think there's really something to the fact that if they really wanted to have options, the only pitcher in the bullpen who has options right now, I mean, I guess Reyes does, but that's not happening. Like, I think it's pretty unlikely that Reyes is both healthy and not in the majors this year. Uh, but the only pitcher who has options who they're likely to send down is Brevia, but you also don't want to send him down. He's really good. And that's kind of a tough spot where last year they had more people that could send down. So I don't know how they resolve that, but it is, it's kind of a weird juxtaposition of like the team really thinks they're all in this year, right? They've talked about it a lot in the media and they've said like, we're, you know, we want to win this year. We went out and got Paul Goldschmidt. Like the Cardinals need to be back in the playoffs. 
it would be pretty weird to say that and then also be like, well, you know, for service time reasons, we're going to play a player who we don't think is as good as our optimal lineup just uh, because it'll probably make us a few wins better two years from now because we'll we'll have more, you know, kind of bulk level depth. It's kind of a weird uh, juxtaposition. I, I don't think it'll last once they get, basically once Carlos comes back. I think it's going to be pretty hard for Myers to be on the team unless he's pitching really well. And one thing, too, is that we saw last year with Jordan Hicks, he was on the team on opening day. The Cardinals didn't game the service time system with him by keeping him down a couple weeks. So I guess that's indicative that the team definitely is all in as far as managing the roster in a way that's maximizing having the best 25 guys on at any particular time. Yeah, the Cardinals are, uh, I would say, pretty exemplary in terms of not having a uh you know, kind of game Super 2 guys, which I really like. They actually do seem like if they have a player who they think is ready to contribute, he just comes up. Uh, and, like, I, I understand that people's aesthetics and tastes are different, and sometimes you just want your team to win, and sometimes, you know, that's totally fine, and sometimes you just really care about the well-being of these baseball players, and that's obviously also totally fine. But for me, like, it feels pretty good that uh, that they're not manipulating their team's service time too much more you know they're doing it less than the other teams are that just makes me like gives me some residual uh, i'm happy about the cardinals i feel like that always comes back to haunt the team that does it in the first place like i look at with chris bryant and the cubs that's probably the most obvious yeah, version of I'm not really haunting like, them too much <laughs> oh but i mean when it comes to signing a contract extension I, Maybe, maybe we don't know yet, but if I were Chris Bryant, I would be remembering that. I would not be forgetting that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so maybe I'm just pettier than the average baseball player, but I'd be like, oh, really? You you want me now? You know? <laughs> I, would, I would remember that when it comes to negotiating contracts. But we'll have to see. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll be nothing. But I do think he was – I don't know if he was outspoken about not liking that or maybe it was his agent or he was I, very outspoken about it yeah. i thought i remember okay good i'm not going crazy i thought i remembered him being pretty unhappy about that so yeah that that's definitely the case like i think people are being more clearly upset about it now and i mean i guess i hope it comes back to bite them because like you can say that this is within the rules and also not like the rules and that's kind of how i feel like i don't think they're cheating but I just don't like it. So it would give me great satisfaction if teams who were uh, basically choosing to pay young people less so that they could, I don't know, like compete a little bit better, kind of get burned for it. I kind of wanted to switch gears now, talking about one thing that the conversation kind of hasn't naturally drifted towards. So I was looking at Fangraph's positional rankings on their depth charts. So for catcher, they have the Cardinals' eighth best in baseball, second best at first base, 10th best at second base, 11th best at third base and shortstop, 4th best in left field, 14th best in center field, and the one that is below average and kind of the elephant in the room is 19th in right field, obviously with Dexter Fowler positioned they got the majority of that playing time now, and we don't need to relitigate the season that he had last year, but his projections are kind of lukewarm going into this year, and if you're one of those people who cares about spring training stats, he has an OPS below 650 plate appearances as of the time we're recording this. 
one, and this is kind of a naive question, how concerned are you with Dexter Fowler? But I think more importantly, especially with people like Jose Martinez and Tyler O'Neill on deck, how long of a leash are you giving Dexter Fowler? So for example, if it's May 1st and he's struggling like he was last year, at what point do you really start to scale back his playing time and go with some of those alternative options in right field? I think it depends because not all results are the same, if that makes sense. I think it depends on how he's getting his poor results. If it's, uh, if he's, I don't, I don't know if, if he's hitting the ball weekly and, and doesn't look good in right field, then yeah, maybe it's time to, to switch in May. If, but if he's making solid contact and just kind of, you know, it's just sort of a kind of bad luck sort of thing, which, you know, our small sample size, bad luck, because a month of data isn't really that much. So if, if things look good and looks like, I don't know, that's, this is kind of a cop-out answer. So, so <laughs> but uh, I, I don't want to say that I'm optimistic about Dexter Fowler, but I am going to say that I don't think the player we saw uh, last season is the player he will be going forward. I do think we will see, just because he was so weirdly bad last season, I think we will see some improvement. I don't know if he'll ever get back to the 2016 level because that was kind of a career year for him, but I could see him being at least an average player and not what he was last season. So I guess I think they kind of should already be splitting time anyway. So I don't know. (laughs) Someone else talk now. (laughs) In fairness, I think they're going to be close to splitting time anyway. Like they're not saying it, but the way that they set up their roster, I think it'd be crazy to have O'Neill not getting, you know, a decent amount of plate appearances. Jose Martinez needs to play. They just gave him a contract extension. And I think that they could say like, we're just trying to, uh, you know, Dexter's a veteran and we want to keep him fresh and healthy because like, we're going to need him all year. Mm-hmm. And like, that's true. And so you could easily see a, a timeshare where like, let's say you get like six starts a week where he's like playing three times and the other guys are playing three times. Like, and like, that doesn't seem crazy at all. And you could even see it go two, two, two without like, without it really feeling like a, like a demotion because I think they could very reasonably say like, Hey man, like you're 33. And like one thing that can really like make you hit bad is if your knees hurt, like Mm -hmm. it's pretty hard to play baseball if your knees hurt. So like, like let's figure out a way to where like you're hitting when you're like super healthy. And like, that's a big advantage that the team has this year. We got depth, like let's do it. And like, let's be like locked and loaded come September. And I think that'd even be true. Like, one thing that's been kind of a, a constant throughout Fowler's career is that he's been pretty injury prone. Um, like little nagging stuff, right? Like he's never he's never had a severe injury except the end of last year. But he's had a lot of nagging injuries throughout his career. Like he's had 600 plate appearances once in his career, and you know, kind of having some kind of maintenance schedule to play him a little less, I think would make sense even if he were kind of back at 2017 Dexter Fowler, who's a good player, like really good player for the Cardinals, actually. You know, he played, he, he played like 120 games and hit like really well. He hit like 265, walked 13% of the time. He was great. 
Um, yeah, I'd take 2017 Dexter Fowler back. Yeah, but even if we had 2017 Dexter Fowler, I think it probably makes sense to, like, rest and rotate. That's mm-hmm. one big advantage you get as the Cardinals is, like, like, Ozuna probably needs to play every day. But you have a little bit more space elsewhere to, like, kind of, like, swap and mix and match and keep everybody fresh. And I think they like, kind of have to take advantage of that. Like, that's a that's a really nice thing about having, you know, you're probably your current top position player prospect be in the majors, like having O'Neill in the majors right now. I guess he's not a rookie anymore. He's lost rookie eligibility. But having him up there, like, he can play any of the three outfield positions. He can fill in for people. And, like, he needs to play. So it's a good excuse to have him play. Yeah, I think that was one of the pitfalls we saw of the outfield last year. And really, the outfield the past couple years, when we've seen guys struggle, is that the Cardinals have gone into the year and justifiably so with kind of three solidified starting outfielders and that's perfectly fine but the question becomes then when one of those guys is struggling how do you kind of start to deviate with that and especially now that's the most recent track record for Fowler is this abysmal 2018 season I think like you said it is going to be a good excuse to get guys like Martinez and O'Neill those at bats that they probably should be getting so I think in that sense, it is good that maybe there aren't these concrete roles going into the season, just because naturally I think the team is going to be more willing to be flexible and move pieces around like that, just because they aren't mentally kind of gridlocked into this one way of setting the lineup every single day consistently. Yeah, and uh, just to kind of add one thing on that right field projection, if you look at the uh, the Fangraphs plate appearances, great website, you should definitely check it out. Um, <laughs> O'Neill is projected for like a hundred plate appearances this year, and I, I think that's uh, that's not very likely. I think that a hundred plate appearances is just—it's hard to imagine a situation where he's not getting more run than that. Like, regardless of what happens, you know, he had 140 last year, and in, in like way less than a full season. And I get that the problem is just that they have a lot of outfielders, but. Like, things open up, and I, I think that, that it's very likely that he's going to hit more than that, and that that's kind of going to bump the uh, the production in right field up, because I, I do think that he's the best right fielder on the team. So, like, that's a, take that with a grain of salt. Like, if the split actually is, this is what's, uh, what's projected, 385 play appearances for Martinez, 210 for Fowler, 42 for O'Neill, and 35 for Yaira Munoz. Like, that's not great. <laughs> that's probably not the way I would split it. But, uh, yeah, that, that's a lot of Yairo Munoz plate appearances in right field. Um, <laughs> like, the first thing I would do is give all of those to O'Neal. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if, if Yairo Munoz is getting that many appearances in right field, then I don't even, I yeah. quit. I quit, I, I quit baseball. There's a, yeah, there's, um, he's also getting 28 in left field along with O'Neal's 28. Like, I think there could be some cleaning up done there. I think that would help out the Cardinals. Munoz is getting a lot of outfield plate appearances, according to uh, this. A great website you've got there. That's uh, the best there is for baseball analysis. Check it out. Do you remember when when the Cardinals got Goldschmidt and that solidified that Carpenter was going to be regularly playing third base? There was that, I can't remember what it was, that post-dispatch article saying Jerko was going to like start practicing outfield. Oh, yeah. I, think, yeah, that... I remember because I kind of defended that a little bit not really like I don't want to see Jed Jerko playing the outfield but also like 
what's the harm in him practicing it? <laughs> you know, everyone's freaking out. I'm like, guys, just let him try. Who cares? Like, if he didn't Wong to... hurt himself playing outfield? Yeah, yes. he hurt his shoulder at Wrigley Field. Mm-hmm. Tur- yeah, his shoulder knocked yeah. his shoulder on the turf or something. I guess like I'm not sure Jerko would move fast enough to hit the turf hard enough to hurt his shoulder. <laughs> That's not clear. So maybe maybe you're safe from that one. Yeah, I also yeah. think it made more sense last year when uh when Ozuna was like really struggling just because his shoulder was so hurt. So with Ozuna, um, a couple people have asked me about this and I haven't gotten a chance to really watch spring training but a couple people have asked me if Ozuna is throwing and as far as I've heard it doesn't sound like he his arm looks very good have you guys seen anything about that I have not seen a full effort throw by him I've seen some lobs because I've never seen like a play where he's needed to have a full effort throw I'm just really interested in how his shoulder looks feels is yeah behaving (laughs) I don't know and I haven't really seen it. And people are asking me because they know, you know, I like baseball. And they're like, how does Ozuna look? I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I think he's hitting pretty fine in spring training. Yeah. I mean, like take, I... take it with a grain of salt, 45 spring training plate appearances, but 243, 356, 486 slash line. So 842 OPS. That's not terrible. And again, it's spring training. So really yeah. anything can happen. There's just so much I fluctuation mean, there. There's that guy in the A's. Uh, Chris Davis, who, like, basically can't throw. Like, I think I probably throw about as well as he does from the outfield, and I'm, like, and didn't really play baseball. But uh, he's also, like, you know, like, a really good hitter. (laughs) Well, I know, like, that was a big part of of Ozuna's, um, I don't know exactly how to phrase it, but why he didn't quite live up to expectations last season was that his shoulder was bothering him and it affected his hitting, but also his he's known for having a really great outfield arm. And I've talked with, this, with a couple of people about this and how uh, fans, I think, in general, seem to overrate outfield arms. It's yeah. like a very small part of being an outfielder, but you also do need to be able to throw the ball. <laughs> and like, if the runners know you can't throw, that's going to become a problem very quickly. So... That was, and there was some controversy about him in his rehab efforts over the off season. I think, if I recall, yeah, that's uh, so. That's why I'm kind of curious, you know, if he seems. Yeah, I've really seen better, it. But uh, one thing I've noticed is he is a really, really good instinctual outfielder. Like Bader's really fast, and he has a really good first step, but. Yeah. I don't think anyone is better than Ozuna at reacting immediately and taking the best path to the ball. Like, he's actually incredible at the, like, like, I don't know how fast he is, like, when he's underway. I haven't really looked at his sprint speed or anything. But if you watch him play and you're not really sure how fast he's running or anything, he just looks, like, technically perfect to me. Mm-hmm. Which I think bodes pretty well. Like, that's that matters way more for outfield defense than any of this other stuff. I'll have to pay attention to that when the games start because I've never really focused on like his technique in the outfield but that's very interesting to me he just tends to like get good jumps basically Mm -hmm. and I think that uh, you know it's not very sexy but it like it's pretty important (laughs) yeah and to your point about Ozuna's arm I'm looking at fan graphs right now they have a couple different metrics for 
arm strength, one that Fielding Bible uses, one that they use in UZR, which is kind of their catch-all defensive metric that they use in wins above replacements. One had his arm last year at two runs below average. One had his arm at 0.9 runs above average. So while both are considerably lower than generally what we've seen from Ozuna, I'm not sure I buy that entirely, that the numbers are that close to the average. But one, I think it definitely was overstated how bad his arm was, and specifically how much that actually cost the team, just because, like you said, there are far more important things that go into outfield defense than raw arm strength. So I'm not too concerned by it. And I also think a big reason why some people fixated on it was because the bat wasn't living up to what people were hyping Mm -hmm. it up to be. I think when guys are struggling, and we saw that with Dexter Fowler last year, that when things aren't going right, people I noticed do tend to be more nitpicky and looking at those minutia things that in the grand scheme of things might cost you a run here or there. But Ozuna's still a very good player, and I'm more or less optimistic about him going into this next season. Yeah, I, I will point out that uh, he really does not, he did not throw very hard. Like, um, here are the the top effort throw numbers that I, I wrote about this uh, last year for kind of a joke article when that guy threw a home run ball back off the, uh, the monster wall in Fenway. <laughs> um, so he used to average 92 miles an hour on like his max effort throws then 89 in 2016 81 in 2017 and 78 in 2018 and he's actually he had the lowest average velocity on max effort throws of any outfielder in baseball so like his arm really really was not strong last year and it also just didn't matter that much like i think that's kind of the the real thing like especially in left field like what are you doing with a strong arm (laughs) It seemed to affect his hitting more than anything. If yeah, it, I agree. Because I actually wrote a post about this last year um, where after he – this is the weird part, too, to me, is he – they put him on the DL and he got a cortisone shot after they acquired Matt Adams. <laughs> like, because that was the thing that was holding them back from DLing him all season. Or I guess it's not called the DL anymore. It's called the – I.O. IL injured yeah. list. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that was the thing that was keeping him from getting treatment on his arm was that they didn't have Matt Adams. But besides that, I ran the numbers and it is a small sample size because it's like, like three fourths of a season and a fourth of a season, and you know a lot of stuff can happen. But his numbers after he got the cortisone shot look so much better. He was even starting to hit the ball in the air more and and pulling the ball more it's it like just not just the hitting numbers which looked better the results numbers look better but the actual like what happened numbers you know looked better yeah. you know where he Agreed. hit the ball how hard he hit it i think his uh leaving velocity on exit velocity even looked better yeah and like qualitatively he just looked more comfortable too yeah so it's like, why didn't they do that sooner? <laughs> but I guess you never know what's what's going to help, I guess. but You could also imagine that Ozuna really felt pressure to be playing every day. Yeah. Like, I think it puts you in a tough situation if you're hurt, but not too hurt to be able to play. Definitely. And some of that comes down to, like, like I don't want to blame Matheny for everything, but I also kind of do. <laughs> Go and for it. Like, so yeah, like, blame him for everything. 
Yeah. Like, you don't think Dave Roberts could be like, look, here's the deal, guy. Like, we need you better. Like, mm-hmm. like the way that you help the team is by taking a week off now so that you can play all the time at a higher level in a week. Right. And it just did not seem like a – like, it's natural for Ozuna to want to play as much as possible. Like, if you got to the big leagues, like, you've believed in yourself – like the exclusivity of reason for your whole life and you've been right so you've been like you know what no i'm the i'm the 0.001 and you were it's like why would you think that you can't play through your injury mm-hmm. and so i think that a lot of managing is like like convincing the guy that like this is actually good for you because uh, i i think that, that was not really happening last year and hopefully uh hopefully like what actually happened was that Schilt convinced him that like this is a good idea to do yeah it looked like it works like you said yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely hoping Schultz will be better about that, especially now that he's not the intern. He's had that tag removed and he has a tangible contract in job security. That, that was one of the concerns and criticisms we had of Matheny, obviously one of many, is that he was very evasive and not willing to kind of confront players about what in the grand scheme was better for the team. And that's how we saw guys playing through little nicks that eventually snowballed into much worse than that and became longer stints on the disabled list or kind of prolonged periods of subpar mediocre play just because a guy wasn't playing at 100% or as close to 100% as people normally are over the course of a season. So especially with the Cardinals depth that they've well established now, I'm definitely am hoping that that is something we see that you're willing to take a guy off, especially when we still have the 10 day disabled list for all players that the Cardinals do take advantage of that, not just the game, the roster system for an extra bullpen pitcher here or there, but realistically, when some of these guys are banged up, that's they actually are sitting them out because the trade-off between Tyler O'Neill and Marcelo Zuna and a, a bummed up shoulder for Marcelo Zuna over a week isn't that much, especially when you're reaping the rewards of a healthy Ozuna for the next two months of the summer. Yeah, I think that's the real key is... uh like, it actually really is helpful for people to take time off. And I think you saw that, like, that that has been one of the things the Cardinals haven't necessarily been good at. Like, remember when they had to sit Matt Carpenter down for exhaustion? Oh, my gosh, yeah. What was that, 2017, I think? That is one of my hopes for the years that we'll manage injuries better and, like, rotate guys better. And I think it's likely. Like, uh, the front office talks a big game about that, you know? And it seems like they do a pretty good job of it in the minors of, like, keeping guys conditioned and getting guys trained and everything. So hopefully that, uh, especially given that Schilt has brought a lot of the minor league coaching staff up to the majors, hopefully that carries over. All right. So unless you guys had anything to add, I guess we can do the cheesy standard podcast thing that everybody has been doing on these season previews. I'm going to put you on the spot. Give me your final win prediction for this team. Uh, 95 wins. I said 94 in a, uh, I think, in a preview that I helped with before. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that. Well, like, not... I fully realize that that's a, that's a lot higher than projections, and yeah, like I don't know, I, I feel good about this team. I think if I just, you, if you yeah. made me, like, say, do I think, like, that that's the most likely scenario? Maybe not, but I feel pretty good about it, and I think that there's a lot of outcomes where the team looks really good. It says a prediction, not an estimation or a projection that's the key that's what i'm predicting that's what i think is going to happen now there's a lot of scenarios where they don't they don't 
do what I think they're going to do. And maybe they win like 88 wins. And I think that's what they're projected at. And I feel like that's a good, a good projection. I just think they're going to play above it. And maybe it's a little Mm -hmm. bit of wishful thinking. (laughs) Oh yeah. And listeners, if you remember this in September and I was wrong, definitely remind me of it, but eh, probably won't remember. (laughs) No one ever goes back and listens to these, so I think we're safe. Yeah, and one note on projections. This is something not directly related to baseball, but 538, the stats site did with their midterm elections. These projections are the average of a ton of simulations, thousands of simulations run on the season. So while that final number might say 86 wins for Pakoda or 85 wins on Fangraphs, that could be 85 wins like the average But there's a wide range of outcomes within that. And we see every year Mm -hmm. there are teams that multiple standard deviations outperform or underperform their projections. That's not the projections fault. That's just that baseball's a random sports and fluke things happen. So I I almost feel coerced into bumping up my number now just in doing this episode (laughs) talking about how relatively good the offseason was. But it's just a tough National League this year. And It's tough for me to see the Cardinals or any of these teams leaping out ahead of the pack. But I know that, like, one of these teams inevitably will. That one of these teams, things will go right for them. Others will have injuries, things that don't go right for them. And the Cardinals are just about as likely to beat that team that gets the positive or the negative breaks as anyone else. So I think I lean more on the optimistic side of this finally being the team that ends the long playoff droughts of... What is it? Oh, our suffering. Yeah. Long suffering. (laughs) These Seattle fans keep complaining, but we've really had a tough year in St. Louis. (laughs) I'll go, I'll go 90 wins flat for this team. And I'm assuming that that will be good enough to sneak into at least the wild card game. Yeah. I mean, I think it hasn't been good enough once. So it'll probably be good enough. All right. So, well, I carry on the tradition of pulling up an inspirational quotes. I have a brief trivia question as we enter the final stretch here in spring training. So among all Cardinals players, no requirements, no minimum plate appearances here. Which Cardinal has the highest OPS on base plus slugging this spring training? Mm-hmm. Do pitchers bat in every game? Not every game, but some of them. Yeah, I feel like it's like a random picture. Yeah, I will tell you. I'll give you a hint. The person here has one plate appearance on the sprint. That's that's, going to make it tough. I Uh, I am going to say John Gant, because that'd be funny. Yeah, (laughs) you and John Gant. Um, I'm going to go with Adam Wainwright. All right, you're actually really close with John Gant. He was fourth. The answer is someone who took their at-bats pretty recently, actually. It's Miles Michaelis. He has one plate appearance, oh. and, he, and he hit a home run. So he has a five... Uh, see, that was my first guess. But then when you said one plate appearance, I didn't think it was possible. I had one. Ugh. Yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping for, is that we get... The Cardinals had... did they? I don't think they led the league because of Lorenzen on the Reds, but they were up there in pitcher home runs last year. They and Gant contributed, too. <laughs> that's right. I'm pretty sure I wrote about, like... He was 0 for 37. He'd never gotten on base. And then in the span of like a week, he popped off two home runs. And it was incredible. Well, Ben wrote the... Wasn't that you, Ben, that wrote the article about him being 0 for 37? 
And then yeah. when he hit the home run, you put the King of Kings article yeah. or something on there? <laughs> yeah. At like 3... Was, uh... Wasn't it at like 3 a.m. or something? I think I scheduled it for like 3 a.m. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> I think I wrote it at midnight, and I was like, if I wake up and decide I don't want to send this, then I want to give myself a little time to. And then, nope. I was like, I'm going to run with this. <laughs> Content's content, right? Yeah. Yes. It's great. I, I enjoyed it. All right, before we finish off with the quotes, is there any plugs you have? I know we've already given Fangraphs and our former overlord, Craig Edwards, now Ben, multiple shout-outs. So is there anywhere else people can find your work, find you on social media, etc.? Um, I'm underscore Ben underscore Clemens on Twitter, but I don't really, like, you can probably just find me at VV and Fangraphs because my Twitter will probably be tweeting that I wrote an article at one of those sites. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at LIL underscore Scooter 93. That is a personal Twitter account. It is not just all about baseball, just a warning. So maybe you don't want to follow me. <laughs> There's a lot of pictures of my dog and stuff. Uh, and then you can read my writing on Viva Alberto's Monday through Friday. At, I guess coming up 12, it'll be 12 noon next week is mm-hmm. when we're moving, moving the schedule. Yeah, I cannot provide scandalous dog content on Twitter like Heather can, but <laughs> I am going to try to be more active. I kind of wasn't as active during the off season just because there's not baseball games to talk about. What's the fun of that? But you can follow me on Twitter at Tyler underscore opinion. And I was kind of active at times in the off season, but I'm hoping to get back to that a little more in the regular season now that that's starting up this week and also read VEB, especially now that the regular season's starting again, we have actual baseball games to analyze and talk about and discuss, which is really exciting. Thank God. <laughs> it was getting, getting rough there. Yeah. I was, uh, I was running out of stuff to say. Yeah. There's always this breaking <laughs> point trying to churn out baseball content to this, not this point, but the worst is like late January, early February when you don't yes. have spring training yet but all the off-season stuff has happened already. It's it's just awful. And you can't do any of your year-in-review stuff. That's already gone by. So we've been through the worst. Yeah, we've made it, guys. We made it. All right, and we will leave. I think this is a fitting quote for the Cardinals. I hope Schultz tapes this one to the locker room. Expect problems and eat them for breakfast. <laughs> I like it. Also, like, get some protein, though. Yeah. It's going to be a long day. Some eggs and bacon, something. Yogurt. Just do something. All right, this has been episode 127, and the next time you'll be listening to us, there will be Cardinals baseball games in the books, regular season games that count in the final standing. So with that in mind, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.